What is up, people? And thank you so much for listening in to this episode of the New Generation Sports Talk Podcast. I'm your host, EJ Stewart. We got a great show lined up for you guys today. Of course, we'll be talking about the controversy surrounding LeBron James' comments on the China protests and Daryl Morey's tweet from last week. We'll also be talking about Zion Williamson's red heart start to the the preseason that is uh, being cut short with a sore knee. So we'll talk about the seriousness or non-seriousness of that and what we've thought of his debut so far. We had major trade in the NFL. We had a World Series berth. A lot happened this week. It should be a really fun show. Who's Flames, Who's Trash will be here. Uh, Kendall's Court will be here. Kendall is here. Kendall is my co-host today. And Kendall, I got to start off to ask you, one, how you doing? And what did you think of Bradley Beal re-upping with the Washington Wizards? Two years, $70 million. Um, Surprised a lot of people. I saw a lot of Twitter people uh, making jokes about the Miami Heat, uh, pretty much looking at themselves like, oh, why did we spend all this money thinking that Bradley Beal was coming as long with Jimmy Butler at some point? That's It doesn't seem like happening at the at the moment. Well, um, I mean, first on the Heat, I mean, right now, I mean, I feel like they're, they're fine at the shooting guard position, but we'll, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> That's fair enough. Uh, <laughs> long term. But, um, Beyond that, uh, look, I think this Bradley Beal extension is a little. Uh, I, I think it's. I think it's much to do about nothing. A little bit, mm. you know. I, I think it still wouldn't surprise me if he was traded sometime either later this year or next year. Um, it look, it's not going to look good. It, it, we'll talk about this China thing, but if the salary cap is majorly affected and it goes down. Um, that contract is not going to look good next to John Wolf. Um, or this extension, I should say. I mean, he's a great player, so it's not like it's going to cripple the team. But that plus John Wall, you know, something that the, the Wizards certainly have to think about. But, I mean, all this does is up his, up his trade value because he's not a slight risk anymore. Um, you know, he's not a guy that can leave in free agency. But I, I think – I still don't know if Bradley Beal's long-term – home is in Washington. I, I wouldn't shock me if in the next year or two he was playing somewhere else. Uh, I, I got the same read on it too. You know, I thought that, I think it was kind of a win-win for everybody. I think uh, Brad looked at the situation and looked at the money that might be out there or might not be out there and figured, why would I uh, pass up money when it doesn't seem like a contending championship team is going to be, you know, there to to give me a, a big offer that would still be less than what I, what I could have gotten from the Washington Wizards, and I think um, with the Wizards, obviously it's great for them. They keep their star player. Um, they with the way Rui Hachimura has played, and you hope you get John Wall back. Maybe you you hold on to some slither, hope that maybe Wall comes back great, and all of a sudden maybe you have a team that can compete in Eastern Conference. But at the very least, your franchise cornerstone has elected to stay. And I think for all parties, if uh, this season really, really goes south, and um, and there was a uh, there was a situation where you had to trade him, as you said, he he you said you took the words right out of my mouth. He's not a virus. Um, you can you can move him. Teams will will feel more comfortable giving up bigger assets, which at the end of the day will net a bigger return from the Washington Wizards. So um, yes, it it ups the asking price, which in, in some ways you think maybe make a trade harder, but. Those teams that would be requiring Beal would feel more comfortable giving up those assets, especially if Beal has another sensational season. And last year, he was just—I mean, that team was dreadful, but and he really established himself as one of the elite shooting guards in the NBA. And I expect him to play 
that way again this year. I mean, he, he his game, I, I was high on Bradley Beal when he got drafted, but to see his game evolve into the player he is now, he's just an offensive machine. So, um, so he'll be valuable to the Wizards, and if he is on the trade market, he'll net a big return. So it's a win-win for everybody. I am happy to see a, a guy on a bad team in a market that is not a small market, but is a market that we'll talk about what they're doing in sports outside of basketball, but has typically struggled. It's typically struggled to, to, to find star players and keep star players. So to see Brad re-up was a good sign. Though I do agree it doesn't mean that he's necessarily going to be there uh, for a long time. I'm still holding out hope that my crazy prediction of him being a Golden State Warrior <laughs> at some point this season will happen, though I think that that's uh, a lot less likely now. But, um, but I agree. I, I don't think that necessarily means he won't get traded. I think this probably makes it unlikely he'll be traded this year, is what I would say. I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah, I mean, it certainly lessens the, the likelihood, you know, if the, if the likelihood of him getting traded before this this season was 40%, you know, for me now, you know, maybe that's even a little high. If it was like 30, now it's probably 15, mm-hmm. you know, 20. So uh, I still think it's a possibility. If this team is dreadful, like, you know, I think, you know, would they be better served shutting him down or trading him, you know? And, like, does he really want to be there long term? And, you know, there's not much they could do with John Wall. So if they mm-hmm. just look at the the landscape of the league, they you can't trade John Wall. So the, the only other guy you could trade really is Bradley Bill. And one of the things uh, that a lot of people around the organization have said is, you know, our projections about Bradley Beal eventually being a, a member of the Heat or a member of the Warriors or being traded at some point were really projections that weren't coming from him. A lot of the people I've heard uh, who follow the team, who follow Brad, have said that he, he, you know, he's been very much uh, on the same page with ownership, with management, which is surprising considering management has been kind of in a chaotic state for about a year now. But... Uh, but that he, he kind of has this kind of old school mindset of wanting to see yeah. something through. And the, the, yeah, the, go ahead. Like, that's the type of personality he is. Mm-hmm. You know, there are some guys that you look at and say, like, there's no way he's going to want to be in that situation long term. Like, um, you know, I have my doubts how long Carl Anthony Towns is going to be in Minnesota if they continue to struggle. But Bradley Beal does not seem like the type of personality where, you know, he's not Hollywood. He doesn't seem like. He's gonna chase a big market, or I think he wants to win. But he reminds me more in the Damian Lillard, you know, CJ McCollum mold of like, yeah, I want to win, but it's on me. You know, like he blames the losing on himself versus the situation he's in. Yeah, and you know, if you're a Washington, you know, Wizards fan, or you're the management, your management, you gotta feel great to have that kind of guy as your star player. Um, now, the rebuild will be difficult in Washington, but again, if Rui pops the way he looks like he may pop, if Wall comes back and can be a top 10 point guard, if they're looking at another bad season and you get a very high draft pick this year, who'd say that asset isn't used in a trade for a big star or that player isn't someone who's franchise changing? I mean, it doesn't appear like that player is in this draft, um, particularly when it seems like the momentum is heading towards LaMelo Ball and he wouldn't really he wouldn't fit at all on this team. But uh but you never know, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I won't talk yeah, it's a little early on this draft. Yeah, so it's it's we'll see this, what happens. This draft is not the kind of draft we But it's say a point guard is a point guard draft. Extremely point guard heavy draft. Yeah, so, and, and it is Which one, may not be bad. 
No. Because John Wall is, we'll see what John Wall is. That's, but, that's true, too. You know, they may need a point guard. So. I think, yeah, I think the idea I was getting at was if, you're stuck if with Wall, him. you're stuck with Wall, and he actually shows up to be, you know, in much better shape than we anticipate, and you have Rui and Beal, well, if you can add another piece to your starting lineup, that's a that's a chain game changer. Well, now, now you're looking at a playoff team, and that team changes it, drastically next year. They have an opportunity for a quick uh, turnaround. Maybe it's a guy we interviewed uh, on Monday. It's a good, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. You guys, uh, it's a great segue to, uh, a, you know, a little promo for us, but, you know, our, our YouTube channel, Generation Media, me and Kendall, we went down to Philadelphia. Kendall's in Philadelphia, but I went down to Philadelphia, and we were at the American Athletic Conference Media Day for the second year in a row. We had uh, interviews with James Wiseman, Memphis uh, freshman forward, our center, um, one, obviously a, a top five potential pick, maybe even a one overall pick. Kendall spoke with him. I spoke with Memphis forward Preston Achua. Um, there's some interviews that we'll have coming out with Penny Hardaway, uh, Kelvin Sampson. A lot of fun, a lot of good insight. Definitely want to check that out again on YouTube channel, New Generation Media, to get all that content. But um, yeah, this was. I think this was cool though. I, I like you know we've had so much player movement, and you know is it it's exciting, but it's like I did kind of take a breath and say, okay, Beal is a Washington Wizard for. I forgot contract extensions were a thing. Yeah, I know. Yeah, because nobody extends anymore. That's like on like that's that's up to become an unrestricted free agent. They always go to free agency, even if they resign, which even that's become you know unlikely. But we've seen you know everybody go to free agency pretty much, and so the, yeah, <laughs> I heard he signed a two year extension. I was like, well, he has years left on his deal, but it's just we don't normally see this kind of thing happen. So uh, so so good for Washington, good for Bradley Beal. It's been a great week for them, which I think we'll talk about a little bit later. But I do want to continue now and and, and head to uh, the controversy surrounding LeBron James. So this week um, obviously was a a very difficult week for the NBA in China. We haven't really we haven't done sports talk in a couple of weeks, so we haven't even touched this story. It has not been because we've been afraid. We just literally have been doing Comic Con and shoots everywhere else. So sports talk lost a little bit of its way um, recently, but. If you haven't been following, so Daryl Morey, uh, last week or a couple weeks ago, he posted a tweet uh, announcing support for the protesters in Hong Kong. If you don't know about the situation in Hong Kong, these uh, people have been demonstrating and clashing with police for literally like three months. Like it's been it's been crazy what's happening. Um, Essentially, they were initially protesting over a measure that was being pushed to allow extradition of prisoners from Hong Kong to China. It's a long backstory, but to try to keep this as short as possible, Hong Kong uh, has a certain level of sovereignty away from China. It's kind of its own state. So with this law, a lot of people were outraged because they felt like it was uh, China, which is a communist governor, slowly making its way back towards, you know, ruling Hong Kong the way it rules the rest of China, which is with a communist uh with a communist iron fist, so to speak. Um, that has also then led to protests about police violence. There's, I saw a video of a police shooting some dude on the street, which is pretty crazy. Um, so this has been a, a very, very touchy situation, clearly. The NBA going over to China, I didn't think it was going to be an issue until Darren Mori tweeted something. And his tweet led to massive uh, action from the Chinese government denouncing the tweet. They've pulled a lot of money away from the NBA, pulled a lot of money away from 
uh, from the Rockets. And, and, and while they were over there, they pretty much were canceling events 10, 15 minutes before they were about to start with the NBA. Um, the guys that were playing in preseason games didn't know if they were going to play uh, because of the way the Chinese government was just uh, just pulling all of their events. Adam Silver had a press conference pulled. The uh, player press conferences with the Chinese gov- media was pulled. It was a pretty um, dramatic scene. LeBron James is in the hotel and seeing his face get ripped off <laughs> piece by piece on a billboard from uh, uh, across from his hotel room. So it was wild, and, and it was a, a pretty surreal situation. And a lot of the players didn't really know what to say. The NBA's first commentary or response to it was essentially an apology, which uh, raised a lot of eyebrows. And a lot of the players, you know, James Harden apologized again, also raising some eyebrows. And a lot of other players decided to just stay away from it Um, because, you know, citing they didn't understand the situation. They didn't know, want to speak on something that they were uh, not informed about. LeBron, after nine days since initially not really talking about it, decided to throw his hat in the ring and make his um, make his presence felt about how he he felt felt with about Maury's tweet. And the, I'll be honest, Kendall, the his reaction it did surprise me a little bit. And um, and and I say that as someone who respects LeBron's um, activist, uh, what's the word? He has he has an active an activist instinct and a social justice instinct that is usually for and it is a support of oppressed people. So I was surprised that LeBron would come out essentially slamming Maury for making his tweet. He said, "Quote: I don't want to get into a verbal dispute or verbal feud with Daryl Maury, but I believe he wasn't educated on the situation at hand and he spoke." So many people could have been harmed, not only financially, physically, emotionally, spiritually. So just be careful what we tweet and say uh, and say. And we do, even though, yes, we have the freedom of speech, that there can be a lot of negative that comes with that, too. He continued, I believe he was either misinformed or not really educated on the situation. If he was, then so be it. I have no idea. That is just my belief. Because when you say things or do things, if you're doing it and you know the people that can be affected by it and the families and the individuals and everyone that can be affected by it, some things can be changed as well. And also, social media is not always the proper way to go about things, but that was just my belief. Um, that, 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 that response to me read very hollow. Um, it sounded like someone who... It was kind of crazy because this is LeBron James who last year, you know, quoted a a Martin Luther King, uh, you know, quote that injustice anywhere is an injustice everywhere. So he got he got slammed for those tweets. He got a lot of criticism. He came back and tried to clean it up. He tweeted, let me clear up some confusion. I do not believe there was any consideration for the consequences or ramifications of the tweet. I'm not discussing the substance. Others can talk about that. My league in this. My team in this league just went through a difficult week. I think people need to understand what a tweet and statement can do to others. And I believe nobody stopped and considered what would happen. Could have waited a week to send it. And look, I, I don't think that LeBron is obligated to come out and and speak ill of the Chinese government for their communist oppression over people and of the way the police in Hong Kong have treated protesters. I don't think that that's his. 
I don't I don't think that just because he's uh, he has as I said that active instinct that that's necessarily his fight. I don't know if everybody's every issue is everybody's fight. Despite LeBron's you know quoting of Martin Luther King, injustice anywhere is an injustice everywhere. However, I think that what alarmed me about the way he framed his issues with this were he framed it essentially in the idea of wrong time, wrong place to bring this, your issues with this out. And the reason why I, I, and I tweeted about this early in the weekend, the reason why this struck me the wrong way was because we got to remember, this is a LeBron James who, you know, all the heat, he was with the Miami Heat when they all wore hoodies in support of Trayvon Martin. LeBron James, who when he was with the Cleveland Cavaliers, came out on the court wearing I Can't Breathe shirts. Um, this is a, a LeBron James who has been super involved with public and ESPYs, making political. I mean, I, I think they were unbelievable speech. That was an unbelievable speech, him and Wade and Melo and, 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 uh, and Chris Paul did. But a, potentially a political speech about our, our society. He's gone after President Trump for what he feels are, uh, are 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 his issues. I just thought about this, and Kendall, if the if to me his commentary wrong, it linked too much to how the NFL owners were speaking about the social, the, the the national anthem, the protest during the national anthem with Colin Kaepernick. The, the, the owners who said, I don't have, I, I understand your issues with police brutality or whatever, but I don't think this is the time and place for you to do that. I just thought back to imagine if Mickey Arison said, I know Trayvon Martin just got killed, but I don't think that the, you know, you pregame is the time and place to make a statement about this. Or if Dan Gilbert said, you know, I know Eric Garner just got killed by, you know, New York City Police Department and, and the, you know, the, the, the district attorney decided not to prosecute. But I don't think you wear an I can't breach. I don't think that's a time and place and a place of entertainment for fans of all ilks and all beliefs for you to come out and say what you have to say. To me, if Daryl Morey truly, honestly, and there's no reason to doubt him, if he does feel like there are clear injustices happening to the people of Hong Kong, the place to make the impact was 1,000% when he made that tweet. I don't know how that's inarguable. Now, could you say that I don't think, and I don't think that LeBron is even wrong perhaps that he didn't understand the ramifications of what was going to happen. I'd argue if you're trying to make social change, that shouldn't matter. And LeBron has LeBron has made statements and not thought about the ramifications and has taken risks for those for the for those things. Was that kind of? Well, I was gonna say ironically enough, the statement he made uh, most recently. You know, (laughs) clearly he didn't understand the ramifications of what he was saying because or else he wouldn't have said it. Yeah, yeah, because now his jersey is getting burned in Hong Kong. So, (laughs) so I I think that I, I so I thought that LeBron. Sounded like a guy who 
I just think he, I think he was fed up with what he had to deal with this week. That's honestly what he sounded like to me. It sounded like someone who, did, I don't think he ever still quite understood what was happening in Hong Kong, even when he spoke. I'll be honest, because it's a complex issue, but I feel like for our listeners, I feel like I did a decent job of summarizing it for the most part. Ain't that hard to after you read a little bit to understand what's happening. And if you are the LeBron James that he has painted himself to be more than an athlete, someone who cares about people all over the world. You can't come out and be like, sorry, wrong place, wrong time. You're talking about people getting shot in the street in Hong Kong and, and you know, people being oppressed. Now, I think what's unfortunate is LeBron, because of this miscalculation, has 1,000% opened the floodgates of these just trolls who don't care at all about Hong Kong or China or human rights, who are now saying LeBron's a hypocrite or everything like that. I think LeBron, I've, I've said his enti- almost his entire career, definitely since he's been very active, is well-meaning in all the social activism that he's done and building the schools. and uh, he, he's, he's first class when it comes to all that. But I think he, 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 he botched this. You know, and, you know, I think that there are a lot of people who are going on TV who are defending the establishment of the NBA, of their money, because Adam Silver today just said that they the financial losses they're having now are significant. And they a lot of people on TV are trying to protect LeBron when I don't know how this is really defendable. The only defense, the only thing I can kind of understand with him is that, yes, this was inconvenient. I totally understand that. But you just you're just always gonna look terrible being the guy making hundreds of millions of dollars, saying that I was inconvenienced by someone bringing up atrocities happening worldwide. You're just never gonna look good, and it's it's it was kind of surprising to me that LeBron and his media team would allow him to come out and say something so callous. All right, so where I'm at is. Like, I got to look at it. What was LeBron's and his group, Rich Paul, uh, his, Mav, his whole his whole team, what was their their ultimate goal was let's not mess things up in China, financially. And I'm sure uh, Adam Silver really that to him. I'm sure uh, Mark Parker and Phil Knight at Nike probably – Relay that to him on some level. I'm sure Genie Bus relayed that to him. Like, you know, I don't think he did this all on his own, but you know, I think he did come. I think they came in with the all right. We have to be careful with what we say. Um, but so I think they took the angle of we are going to again, like you mentioned, focus on the inconvenience of Maury statements and. I think with their, I think what LeBron meant, which I don't think he uh, articulated for a guy that had so much time to to say it. I don't think he eloquated it uh, correctly. But honestly, I think what he meant was that it was the it was poor timing in the sense that like you put us in a in bad position. fire. Yeah, you know, you put you put us. I don't want to say in danger. Well, he's saying in danger. Which I think, yeah, that's what he's saying. A, you know, I think it's a little dramatic. Like, I, yeah, let's say that's what China, I'm saying. China, like, China, China again. I'm gonna repeat, communist government. I, I, I find it hard to believe they were gonna do anything to the NBA players. 
You know, like it's 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 a slippery slope. I, danger again. Like I said, I think that's a strong word, but I mean, but you said their, their physical and emotional well-being. I mean, that's danger for sure. He was making that point. You know, we 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 see what we saw what happened with Leandro Ball. Took him a little bit to get back, and I'm not saying that that's what happened. I mean, they didn't break any laws or anything, but um, point being, that I think what LeBron's saying is that like if you're gonna talk like that, like put yourself out there. You and know, I think that that is don't say that over social media and then have us be the ones that have to answer for it. Well, yeah, and you can hide in Japan or wherever you are. And on that level, from his perspective, I don't. I mean, from like, I mean, I'm in Philadelphia. I don't. I don't care. You know, like that—that that doesn't affect me personally, uh, as far as I know. But I mean, from his perspective, I can see how that was unfortunate, especially since you know he's the—he's the 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 guy that everyone's looking to to answer for this. And so, on that level, I think that's where LeBron's frustrations are. Yeah. Um, now, do I think that that's I don't think anybody cares about that, which is why I think LeBron being roasted is, look, like you said, I mean, nothing likely was going to happen. Nothing did happen. Um, But I also, like, when he made those comments, those weren't in China. So, like, like, he said those at the Lakers practice facility, right? Uh, I think so. I think so. I don't. You can't. Don't yeah. quote me on that, people. But I'm pretty sure it was it was used back in LA when that happened. So that that's where it's like. I mean, that's that. I mean, when you say that, it's not dangerous. You know, like you could have at that point, you could have then said what you needed to say because at that point, again, I, I think that they came in with the mindset of we we're not we're not gonna you know mm-hmm. mess up finances and relations in China, which. It's a business decision, um, you know. I, I like. I don't know. I can't say what I would do if I were in that same spot. I don't know the the specific numbers that were at stake. I don't know what he was told from what people, what he had to do. Um, I, I, I feel. I, I feel I, like there was a way. I feel. I mean, I'm look, and I. I need to be clear. China is not giving the NBA any leeway here. I mean, they've said that any, like... NBA's been pretty neutral, and that has frustrated China. Right, and China's like, this isn't enough. I think the, I don't think the NBA's been neutral. I think they've, they've been like, we're sorry. And the NBA's like, nope. The China's like, nope, we don't care. As long as that guy is still around, that guy is still part of it. Like, to me, like, they're like, his free speech doesn't count here, basically, was their, their statement. Because, like, you know, Adam Silver said that, you know, while we disagree or whatever, but, you know, he has free speech. And they were like, free speech don't matter when you're talking about our sovereignty. So they're not giving them any rope. So I think LeBron understood that and realized he couldn't really, he had to be kind of unflinching in his rejection of it. I do still feel like there was a way he could have finessed it a little bit just to be like, you know, I understand there's, uh, it's unfortunate what's happening in Hong Kong. Um... But at the same time, I respect, you know, China's sovereignty as a country. I, I, I think that, that like that, it wouldn't have been a strong answer. It would not have been the LeBron that I'm used to seeing in regards to standing up to social issues. 
But it wouldn't have been what he did. It wouldn't have been what, it wouldn't have been this chaos that we have now. I don't want to say chaos, but it wouldn't have been this circus that he kind of created with by his own volition at all. I think he and, I, and but I think the number he had two priorities. Number one was to, as you said, protect the bag at all costs because he has a lot at stake. And I, I want to say something about that real quickly. I know people are just saying, "Oh, he's all about his all money. He's all about his money." I do feel like. I don't think that it's yes I understand the idea that he's he, that he, how he looks by just only by by caring about how much money he's getting from China. I also think we do have to take into consideration how that money he gets from China, gets from the NBA, gets from wherever resources are being used for in his mindset to kind of rebuild his community. Like I don't like yes of course he lives in a mansion and yes of course he has a good life. But it was kind of like the same thing with Kaepernick, where it was like, oh, Kaepernick's taking the bag from Nike. What about China? Like, they were doing, kind of doing the same thing, though. It didn't stick as well as LeBron, because LeBron said this, made this comment that was that was ill-advised. But I, I do feel like you, you, need, you do need money to push your agendas. And I, I don't think that because you care about monetary gain, it, it, it automatically means you're... you're, you're um, your uh, your motive motivations overall are totally corrupted. I don't think that that's the case. I think that it can. I think in most cases, a lot of cases, it is. But we should think about that. That so so that right. so, so I think then, so I think that was part of it. But I also think I think he wanted to make a point because the reporting out of that week was the NBA players were furious that Maury made this tweet. Silver was nowhere to be found. I was kind of surprised there wasn't more NBA leadership in China, like. No one was anywhere to be found after Maury did this tweet. It was just the players and the teams out there. And they were kind of just left to fend for themselves. And then Silver came over and was like, well, you guys just say something. And they were like, fam, you haven't even been here. And now you want us to defend what this guy said? Like, I think that there was a frustration around that. I think LeBron wanted to point to that. But honestly, I think he kind of tippy-toed around it. I think that he kind of was, I don't know why, but I think he was a little scared to kind of hold the management, NBA's management to the fire, which... I think would have went over way better than what he ended up doing. I think he tried to uh, allude to it, but he never did. I, I think it also is a little bit of like, again, like he, LeBron is his own business. He's his own boss on some level, but at the same time, he does have people that he works for or reports to on some level um, or works with that, you know, like, again, Nike, I mean, it, it, the example, I know you'll get to CJ because um, you're a wrestling fan, but, like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of a lot of controversy. There was a little bit of controversy with, you know, the WWE doing their, you know, work in the Middle East, you yes, know, in Saudi, well, Arabia. Saudi Arabia. And, you know, whether or not that was ethical, you know, to even do business over there. But, you know, they, they, they've done it. And... I mean, it's probably not the best. It's probably not the best look, but um, like, am I gonna look at someone like you know John Cena or Roman Reigns and say like, you know, every like cause that they're that they're for is like is thrown out of the window now because like they they they're you know their employer is is, is doing business in you know or doing business with you know 
on that school characters. Now, this is on a different level because LeBron doesn't necessarily work for the NBA. Sure. Uh, he does work for Nike. But, um, like, I'm not, like, I don't think LeBron is is pro-China. You know, like, that's where, like... No, not at all. It, it's the, the issue is that his voice is, is very important and it carries weight. And his words carry weight. And what he said uh, was... <laughs> it, the, may, the it, it co-signs what China is doing. He can say that yeah. it didn't. But when you say the guy speaking about atrocities in China was misinformed, I mean, whether you meant to yeah. or not, you're co-signing again, that government. And that's, and that, that's why where, he's getting that's this. That's where, heat. again, I think LeBron just didn't, uh, didn't say that he didn't word what he said correctly or Which what is he meant still astonishing because he had so much time and he's so that's the thing you have trained. you had a week over a week to, to come up with something and you come up with something that is you know i also want to re- quickly before but, we move on kendall i, I do want to quickly uh mention that he, when he came back and talked about it again he said he's not talking about it again in terms of china and uh he he reiterated that um it's a tough situation we're all in right now with the association us athletes gms owners and so forth i also don't think every issue should be everybody's problem as well. When things come up, there's multiple things that we haven't talked about uh, that have happened in our own country that we won't bring up. There's things that happen in my own community in trying to help my kids graduate high school and go off to college. That's been my main concern the last couple of years with my school, trying to make the inner city kids that grow up in my hometown uh, uh, can have a brighter future and look at me as inspiration to get out of the hellhole of the inner city. We don't talk about those stories enough. We want to talk about so many other things as well. There's issues all over the world. I think the best thing we can do is, is if you feel passionate about it, talk about it. If you don't have a lot of knowledge about it or quite understand it, I don't think you should talk about it because it puts you in a tough position. I just felt like that those quotes were also very hollow because I'm sorry, LeBron. A lot you spent you and a lot of the NBA players spent all week saying, "Oh, I didn't know anything about this situation." I never even heard about the situation until you brought it up. You can't then run to the defense of there are other issues that don't get talked about enough. Dow Morey was bringing up an issue that wasn't being talked about. And and LeBron, your school, which is great and it's doing wonderful things, it got talked about plenty. I talked about it on this show. I wrote about it for the Hub.News. Check that out. Um, it got so much press coverage and... Look, I'm not saying that the, 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 the plight of the kids in, 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 in communities of color is 1,000% not being addressed the way it should. But, I mean, with the player protests, with the stuff you've done, you don't think that that's been the conversation in terms of athletes and the issues involving communities of color? I, I you know, and I'm a black person. You know, I just, I, I thought that it was kind of, I thought it was a little cheap. To kind of run to well, what's happening in my community. It's like we we've covered you and what you do in your community. You you have a show on HBO dedicated to talking about issues outside of sports, primarily stuff happening in your community. Like don't don't come with that. Like if you don't, I, I think that if you just want to say I, I I don't understand that issue well enough, and I want to focus on what I feel like I can control, even if I don't believe you or you don't think people believe you, that's fine. I I just thought to come with. There are a lot of issues people don't talk about in this country, but but like China and the Hong Kong situation is usurping that. That's just nonsense. I mean, there was a, there was a presidential debate that happened this weekend, though. They, I watched the whole three-hour thing. Not one question or anything about this China thing, despite what happened with the NBA. So, like, 
that just wasn't true. He just made something up to try to smooth over the situation. And I think, again, I, it concerns me that there's so many people who I think are, are trying to protect the NBA, trying to protect the bag, trying to protect him, that they're kind of letting him get away with, like, kind of nonsense statements. Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, it's a it's a tough situation for, uh, for, for I mean, it's tough because China is is being very difficult, obviously, and um, like, uh, you know, it's something where I, I mean, I would certainly have to do more research on like the makeup of the Chinese population and like. I mean the 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 energy online is is very like very like pro Chinese government, but that's also a lot of bots probably. Oh yeah, come on, uh, like so <laughs> like you don't really it's hard to really tell what's real and what's not and what 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 is legitimate and how do people really feel. But um, but it's tough because like you know and like again like Adam Silver says like Yao Ming's upset. And like, and he's 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 angry at the NBA and at Maury and the Rockets and like, do I really think Yao Ming is angry? I mean, I look, I can't. I mean, that's what Adam Silver says. But Adam Yao Ming also works for the Chinese government. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> the president of the CBA, the Chinese Basketball Association, which you know is everything that's the, that's run government. Everything that's run in China is run by the government. So you exactly. hear a media outlet, a basketball league. I mean, it could be anything. It, it's run is all encompassed and and approved and authorized by the Chinese government. So yes, even Yao Ming's opinions that get public are also opinions approved by the Chinese government. So you have to take everything that comes out of there with grain of salt. It's not right. it's not disrespectful. It's just it, it, it's just the fact of the situation. Right. Um, and so so yeah. that's why that's for me that's why I'm like I, I just this LeBron thing. It's very. It's just it's a hard thing to evaluate because I just can't speak on how I would how I would have operated if I were in his shoes. One last thing on this before we move on, I do also want to give a shout out to Jesse Washington of the Undefeated, who I thought um, made. <laughs> oh, he was the guy that Antonio Brown was beefing with. Yes. Oh, yes. Now nah, that makes a lot of sense. Now I kind of forgot you're right. That was Jesse Washington. Um, I, I kind of. Uh, I kind of I thought he had a really great point towards the end of his article on Undefeated, where he said, "Look, LeBron is saying that China is not his problem, but look, his shoes are made by people in China. His league brings in millions of dollars from China. He's his he has millions and millions of fans in China. I'm sorry, China kind of should be his problem. I, I I don't I don't know if I also buy this notion that he's just like." I mean, uh, look, I don't know the issue well enough, so I don't care. I mean, if you're just, you know, some Joe Schmo in the NBA, like, I understand that. But with LeBron, your influence and impact is too great for you to just be like, I don't care. But then that's the the conundrum. Because, and that's where I say I got to know more about Chinese politics. And, (laughs) but, like, like, you mentioned he has all this stake in China, obviously. But... Where do those people stand on this topic? You know, you would think morally, a lot of them, on some level, uh, 
like understand what is happening is wrong, but they can't express it. Um, and so that's where I'm like, or maybe they don't. Maybe they. I mean, I maybe they do just think that you know the Hong Kong are a bunch of separatists. The Hong Kong protesters are a bunch of separate. I don't know. Well, there's don't a, there's it. also a long history that I need to learn more about, but that I've read up to about this. It's, it's very complicated because the British essentially colonized Hong Kong from China. So there also is this kind of this idea that like land was taken from from China that was extremely valuable and uh, that 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 this new semi-sovereign state that happened shouldn't even have happened to begin with. So there's a lot of Chinese pride behind Hong Kong being a part of China as well. So that's an element to it as well that, that you know, is, is a whole other thing, which is why this is a very, very complex issue. I would hope, to me, to be honest, if there's anything I would say, I do think Dara Mori should be forced to make some kind of statement. I think that what also hurt Mori was his tweet while it was clear what he was talking about i think because it was just like a tweet you know however many characters and just a website a like <laughs> like i think it was, it was so it was so like he like we have no context for what he thinks about the situation because he put it out in a tweet which kind of does go to lebron's point about how maybe tweets aren't the best way to go about doing it if you're not going to explain any further now i don't know now the only reason why i i hold and really hold his feet to the fire is because he, he could be under a gag order i mean his owner or somebody could say, yo, fam, you're not saying anything more about this. And I think he did put out a statement, but, you know, it was just like an apology type thing. Mm, yeah, I don't... I think you might be right about that. Now I kind of vaguely remember that. But um, but I do feel like he should have been made to, like, have to say something more than what he did. And that that's also put the, the whole league in a bad situation. Let's move on now to the preseason action happening in the NBA. Of course, LeBron's team has been... Uh, pretty impressive that tandem between him and Anthony Davis look like they're going to be very formidable this season. But the, really, the biggest story out of the NBA preseason so far has been the play of Pelicans rookie Zion Williamson. He has just been a force to be reckoned with. I mean, uh, I don't think I think we all knew he'd be you know, a great player. At least that's what a lot of people expected. But I don't think anyone uh, could have expected him to come out of the gates in the preseason and dominate in the in the manner that he has. Uh, he's Averaging 23 points, uh, six rebounds in just 27 minutes in the four season, four preseason games he's played. Uh, some of these games, Kendall, I think one game he was 12 for 13, only missed one shot. Is he? He looks like a man among boys in the NBA, which is just really scary considering how dominant he was in college and that he was able to essentially bring that to the NBA so far. He will not play in the Pelicans' final preseason game against the Knicks, which is, uh, of course, leaving a lot of people disappointed because that would have been his first trip to Madison Square Garden, his first official game against a uh, fellow rookie and former Duke teammate R.J. Barrett, who's also had a pretty solid preseason. Um, they're holding him out for knee soreness. But, Kendall, uh, what, have, what, was, what have you made of, of Zion's uh, preseason so far? And are you anyway concerned about this little right? right knee soreness that he's dealing with before the before the real season starts um i mean the injury i mean it's uh i mean it's never great you know it's always obviously there's some level of negative to it but uh i I won't get too concerned until like the pelicans tell me they're concerned it's just a bad omen because really injury has been the only thing especially knee injuries have been kind of the only thing that's 
that have held back Zion in the past since high school. Last year at Duke, he had an injury, so that that kind of concerns you a little bit. But um, I mean, knee soreness is not really something that I'm gonna. And summer league, he also had a knee problem, but uh, knee soreness is not something I'm gonna go crazy about uh, as long as the MRI comes back clean. But in terms of uh, the way he's played, um, I mean, I think he's translated better than I think I would have even expected at this point. Um, he's basically doing the stuff that he did in college. He's doing it in the NBA. And, um, like, he is almost better in the NBA than right now than I think he even was in college. And it's not necessarily because I think he's become a better player. But I think Alvin Gentry is, has done a better job so far using utilizing Zion than Coach Kay did. And maybe it's not Coach Kay's fault. Maybe it's that Alvin Gentry has just better pieces to work with so he can put Zion in different spots that Coach Kay couldn't because he had a limited roster. But um, it just feels like Zion has just been way more efficient and way more. I mean, he was incredibly efficient in college as well. But, like the volume and, you know, like, I think, like, he looks like he's going to be way more dangerous of a scorer now than he was in college. You know, in college, he was the second leading scorer on his team, which is crazy to think considering what he's doing right now in the, <laughs> at the NBA level. Uh, you know, if, there, if you told me anybody that I think is capable of averaging 20 points, which I think right now he looks like he's capable of averaging 20 points, is the second leading scorer on their college team. Unless that guy is like Kevin Durant or Michael Beasley, the other guy on their team. I mean, R.J. Barrett's a great player, uh, especially was a great player at Duke. But, um, like, some of that is, like, Coach K, like, should have featured Zion even more than he probably was. Um, but, you know. This is saying a lot because him and R.J. were the only guys allowed to shoot on that team. <laughs> yeah, you know, Cam Reddish <laughs> sprinkle it in here or there. But that is, I mean, Zion could average 25 28 last year like he could have been a Michael Beasley Kevin Durant level scorer but that's not the system that they ran and again maybe maybe that's maybe they wouldn't have won with him playing that way I don't know but for his own development I think again I think he was held back a little bit um but yeah he's he's an incredible talent you know I mean Luka Doncic was great last year as a rookie you know I think Doncic was the best rookie we had seen in a long time um coming in, at least for his age. Uh, but uh, Zion also is another guy at that age, 19, that's going to come in and be uh, like all the rankings that had him in the top 25, 30 player. Like, I thought it was premature, but after five, four or five preseason games, yeah, I mean, they look pretty accurate to me. Yeah, I clowned, I clowned those ratings. I thought that it was ridiculous to put him ahead of... I still think it's ridiculous to put him ahead of Clay Thompson, but... Uh, you know, a lot of the other, you know, very good players, the star players they put ahead, uh, they put ahead Zion ahead of. I thought they were all, I thought it was all ridiculous. But I can't sit here today and say that it was that ridiculous based on how he's played. Um, every time he stepped on the floor, he looks like the most dominant player on the court. And it's preseason, but sometimes you can tell when something's real or that, you know, you have to put the adage, oh, it's preseason when the game starts, it things will be different. Uh, it his he ain't gonna jump any he's not gonna not jump as high he's not gonna jump any less high than he does now he's not gonna get weaker than he, does, than he is now he's not gonna get slower 
than he is now, of course, barring injury, which I guess is where maybe someone may have concern, though. The Pelicans, as you said, don't seem that concerned, so I can't be that concerned just yet. Uh, but those things ain't going to change. He's going to continue to be um, a force of nature, whether it's preseason, regular season, postseason, it don't matter. So this is real. He's, he's a, he is a coming into the league. He's already a, a dominant player. And I do love that you and many others are giving a lot of credit to Alvin Gentry because Alvin Gentry is a great offensive coach. Um, yeah. He's a, he's a great offensive coach. He's been a great offensive coach in this league for a long time. And uh, it, it's kind of really awesome to see what Gentry could do with such a unique specimen like Zion Williamson. You know, I do agree that, you know, we can put it on Duke. I, I don't want to just slam Krzyzewski. I think a lot of it, too, is just the college basketball, the way the game is played. It's so it's so tight and buttoned up. It's so slow. Um, Duke had terrible shooting, so they couldn't space the floor. Like, I don't want to just put it all on Coach K. I, 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 those guys shot a lot, him and RJ. I don't, I don't want to say it was all his fault, the reason why they didn't play better or Zion didn't play better. He played pretty great already. I think that a lot of what we saw was just the college game and just the remedial way in which it's played. Uh, the NBA is, is just played at, at just, you know, if, if, if you know, that it's like a doctorate. Like, you know, if, if college is like your bachelor's, I mean, you get to the NBA, that's that's not your graduate degree. This is like your doctorate or this is like your road scholar level of basketball when you get to that point in terms of schemes and tendencies and how uh, how teams get their shots off. It's, a, it's just a lot different. And when you see Zion in that in that system, He's able to flourish even greater than he even was in college. Um, he's in for a big year. I said that he wouldn't win rookie the year before the season. I, I will probably be dead wrong. <laughs> but, though I do like what I'm seeing from John Moran, who I did pick to win rookie of the year. But, uh, but yeah, this this has been pretty remarkable. This is an impressive time. rookie class. It so is. Like, winning rookie of the year, at least so far, um, like, is it, it, impressive in its own right. And yeah. he's going to... It looks like he's gonna win this like without any debate. I know. And Barrett's look good and Kobe White's look good and um Derek Culver's look good. Culver's look good and there's some guys I think you're gonna mention in your who's lame, who's trash that you also are gonna talk about who went under the radar, who are also looking really good. So it's gonna be a great class, but Zion, despite that, is still in a league of his own. Um let's uh let's move the focus now quickly to football because we had a major trade that happened this week. Jalen Ramsey the chaos and the, uh, the the wait is over. He is officially now no longer a member of the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars. He was traded this week to the Los Angeles Rams for two first-round picks. The Rams made some moves to make that happen. They got rid of Marcus Peters. Um, what do you? What, the, the Rams, I thought, kind of were in a situation where they needed to make a drastic change. Uh, this has been an extremely disappointing season at the starting 3-3. Three and three. They three and zero rather. They're now three and three. They've lost three in a row, including really an embarrassing performance against the Bucks three weeks ago, and really an embarrassing performance last week against the Forty ers So this is a team that desperately needed a shakeup. I don't know if I looked at the defense per se, though the defense was not good in the first two losses. It was pretty good against the Forty ers but Goff had one of the worst games of his career last week. Is this going to be enough? You think, Kendall, for the Rams to shake things up to the point where they can come back and, and take the division from the 49ers? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because you you, you know you mentioned is this the is, is this the change they needed to make? Mm-hmm. And that that's the question I have because like I mean on paper it's it's great. You know, Jalen Ramsey 
with with that defense. And, yeah, and that front that front four, especially with Aaron Donald. Yeah, Aaron pressure. Donald and Sue and Well, Sue's not there. Weapon? Sue's not there. He he's no longer on the team. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> but then well, you have a Steve Nate Smith moment there. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Um but no, like No, that, Dante Fowler's still there though. He's 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 a force as well. Yes, another Jacksonville uh X yeah. uh <laughs> top five pick. But um yeah, no, but this 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 Rams team, uh they have obviously a lot of talent on defense, but the the struggles have come a lot with Jared Goff, you know, kinda not being uh as good this year as he's been in the past. Um and I like I don't know if there was a move that they could have made to really do much about that. You know, could you have got him another weapon? Could you have, you know, made a move uh, to get him more protection? I, I don't know. But, um, you know, a lot of that also comes down to, you know, he's a guy that, you know, they're not going to be able to accumulate as much talent. Uh, when you, It's hard to accumulate uh, more talent when guys get contracts, quarterbacks get contracts. So, um that's something that they have to live with and how they're going to pay Ramsey. I mean, they're going to do it, but you know, that'll also affect the talent pool for this Rams roster, but less needs a smart GM. I think he knows what he's doing. Um, they haven't been interested in making draft picks. seems like in the last like three, four years anyway. So, mm-hmm. um, two Which more years. That, 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 that adds up. It does. It does. And I think they'll feel it in a couple of years when they look very old and, don't have a lot of young, cheap talent, but, um, but if they're trying to win a Super Bowl this year, they got there last year. If they're trying to win it this year. I mean, Ramsey was the best guy on the market, so they they made the move to get him. It makes them a better team. Uh, does it make them a Super Bowl team? It certainly makes them, I think, a contender. And I think they already were a contender, but they could continue to make them a contender. But it's a, it's a tough NFC. You know, it's not. This isn't going to be a cakewalk, so it should be interesting. Yeah, the way. Uh... The way Snead kind of runs that team almost reminds me of uh, the way George Allen used to run the Washington Redskins, where you know he just every year traded his first two or three first picks because he just didn't believe in the draft. Like he just didn't want rookies. He didn't believe in them as a, a group that could help his team. Yeah, <laughs> Which uh, the uh, the stepping rule, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do think you you kind of did get to the crux of the issue. Ramsey is. A great talent. I've heard the people kind of poke holes at his resume and say, is he the difference maker we think he is as a corner? Yes. You say that he is. You don't You don't think that there's a doubt. Yeah, he's incredible. He's a great player. Um, I, it's so hard because I think that when you're comparing him to other shutdown corners, the, the, the bar is really high with the guy he's had recently when they were in their prime. Richard Sherman... Darrell Revis, Chant Bailey. He's as good as he's at least as good as Sherman was. I think Sherman took the ball away a little better than he did. Sherman Sherman had great hands. Sherman played with also three other great <laughs> players in the second half. Yeah, and he played in a really great scheme for him too. Um He's a great player. I'm not gonna poke holes in his resume. I do I don't know if he's Revis per se, like like that kind of like elite, elite, elite. But he's one of the best cornerbacks in football. He makes your team better. He's 
five times better than Marcus Peters, who who doesn't tackle and who sometimes seems to just have lapses. And 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 he can he can make big plays. And he's a he's a big risk taker, but. Ramsey can make those same big plays, but is also a more well-rounded corner by far. I do think you do hit the crux of the issue with Goff really being the issue. Um, Goff, I, I can't believe when you look at his stats, he is 27th, I believe, in the NFL in QBR. I mean, that's just not good enough. Goff is being paid to be a, a top two or three quarterback. That's what the money he's making. 27th in QBR is not getting it done. And... He hasn't looked the same since that Super Bowl. I mean, he, I don't know if I can say besides maybe the loss to um, Seattle because I'm not I'm not giving him a good game for the Tampa Bay game where he threw three interceptions. I don't care if he threw 500 yards in this league. You throw 68 times, you should throw 500 yards. Uh, he hasn't really put together a, a full game that's been good, and we're six weeks into the season now. That's kind of remarkable to me so yeah i think when you consider that you got to kind of look at him and say what's what's going on you know and i and i would disagree i think you know you said that you know maybe the the talent pool isn't there the talent pool is supposed to be there for him you know maybe in the future there's concern but i still see cooper cooper cup is healthy now i still see brandon cooks i still see robert woods I know they've had issues with Todd Gurley staying healthy, and maybe I think he's the second part of this problem that's going on with this team. Uh, him not being just the same Todd Gurley. He, he, to me, he's a running back that you look at now, and I hate to say this, but I, I think he's over the hill. And it's sad to say because he's not that old, but the numbers he's putting up right now, they're even when he's healthy, they're pretty pedestrian. He's just not the game changer he used to be. So... Goff is now being forced to have to be more of the offensive stalwart, and he just hasn't been that guy. And I don't want to say that I'm not questioning whether or not he could ever be that guy, but we thought we were over with the whether or not Goff is a star at this point. I mean, the last two years, he kind of established himself as one. Now, with him having more responsibility, him kind of regressing very much to the mean in a way that I'd never anticipated, I, I do wonder, you know, was he a product of a great system and a great scheme? And is there a coach who was out-scheming everyone for two or three years? Is the league catching up to him, too? Yeah, I mean, is the league catching up to Eric Goff? I mean, potentially, but, I, I mean, I, I think you can still win with Jared Goff as your quarterback. I mean, we've seen a lot of teams win with a lot of bad quarterbacks. I mean, I I, I know you can win with Jared. I know you can win with Jared Goff as your quarterback because I've seen them do it. My question is: Is he the kind of quarterback and franchise player who lifts up the other players around him? I think that we both could agree that outside of that first rookie disaster year in Jeff Fisher, it, it was pretty immediate how much talent and how and the great scheme that was put in front of him. To allow him to succeed, he had great pieces around him. The question, so so yes, we know he has the skills. The question is, is he the kind of game breaking quarterback who can carry a team and lift up his team when maybe his talent isn't as great around him? That's a question he's never answered, and he ain't answering it now. When Gurley's not playing at, at the at level he's capable of playing, 
when the whole team is the offense as a whole isn't playing at, at, the, at the level they're capable of playing he's supposed to be the one that's making these guys better i'm watching tom brady throwing to people that i've never heard of and the patriots are still maybe not the same patriots offensively but he's still putting up good numbers and they're still the probably the best team in the nfl God, and I mean, obviously that's, that's a big fair. bar, but Goff is not even—he's not even coming close to that right now. Yeah, and Goff was number one pick in the draft, so his expectations—yeah, you know, he's guy who was in the Super Bowl last year, so his expectations are fair. But I mean, I look at—I look at his peer group, and I mean, you know, none of them are really I, distinguishing themselves right now. To be yeah, honest, yeah, nobody really. Because Carson think, Wentz is having issues too. Uh, Dak Prescott's Dak having issues. Somebody that. I would say elevates. Well, I was I was thinking more about guys his year before him. Yeah, but, I mean yeah, Mahomes yeah. and Lamar Jackson. I think have certainly shown that they could do that. Yeah, you know, and, and given the right system, especially for Lamar, uh, you know, he's another guy that can also do that. But you know, but like a lot of these guys are still in the same boat, so I, I can't get on golf too much for not separating himself but again he's also with the number one pick in draft so you know he should better he really should be ahead of the game so it's an interesting conversation to have but um but no i mean i think the rams the nfc like it's strong but at the same time a lot of these teams that you would expect to be at the top are all kind of in the same boat right now so a lot of them are three and three so um or four and two so i i think there's no really no reason to panic sure the rams and i think this move only gives you confidence that it puts you ahead of some of the teams that didn't get you on the Ramsey. So, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> you know, it should be it should be interesting. Um, let's get Kendall now to who's flames and who's trash. I'm going to start first. My flames, uh, it pains me to say it because I'm a Mets fan and I hate this team. But uh, the Washington Nationals, uh, they are your naturally pennant winners. They are going to the World Series. And it's funny, the last time we did a show, we talked about the Nationals and their, and their, their tough tasks of going up against the uh the um the Dodgers and how we both said look we respect what the Nationals have done and, and it's they've been a great story but we didn't think that they would be able to compete with the Dodgers and for them to, to grind out that series was impressive. And in to me they were better than St. Louis so I'm not surprised that they swept them. But again it's still kinda of surreal to me, Kendall, to see this Nationals team that I think has kinda of had the M.O. of being kind of soft, uh, not mentally tough, um, you know, kind of, you know, never really the kind of team that would ever come through in the clutch. And to see them play this way in this postseason has been really surprising. Um, and it's really surprising when you consider, again, they're doing this without uh, Bryce Harper. They let their best player walk. I know they still got a very talented team. They Their, their pitching staff, which has just been dominant. Uh, and they would dominate against St. Louis, uh, and it's been it's been great during this whole postseason. Their pigeons have showed up again in a big way during this during this series. But uh, uh, hats off to to the Washington Nationals for for getting to the World Series, their first ever uh, Expos or uh, Nationals. Never been to the World Series. I gotta give them a shout out, and uh, we'll see who they face. They got <laughs> whether it's the Astros or the Yankees. They're gonna have a huge huge. Uh, task at hand. I think they will be heavy underdogs. But as it goes with a hot goalie in um and you know the in the NHL, 
if you pitch the way the Washington Nationals are pitching right now, and you, anything's possible. So, as great as those Yankee, the Yankee lineup and that actual lineup is, if if they they meet pitching that they just can't seem to handle, then who knows what happens. So, shout out to the Washington Nationals for their first ever uh, National League pennant and their trip to the World Series. Yeah, uh, on the Nationals, look, I mean, obviously, incredible story. You know, losing Harper, you know, obviously it's unfortunate for a lot of, you know, Phillies fans, but, you know, it is what it is. What it is. Um, I Like, I don't think that this means Harper's a bum or that he's a negative, you know, piece because, uh, I mean, I believe the Phillies had a better record than they did last year, so... Um, they seem to be on the the yeah, upswing. Yeah, but you pay you get paid got three hundred million dollars. You got to make yeah, the playoffs. You know they they. Which is why Gabe Kapler is out of a job now. Yeah, you know they're not they're not in great shape, but they're better than they were when they got him. I would I would imagine. Or uh, but like the Nationals, what I will say is, look, um, this is a team that again you mentioned on fire. Uh, I I think when I look at uh, next seat or, or next week, I should say, when the World Series starts at some point, depending on how long this uh, Yankees Astros series goes, um, I, the momentum certainly is in Washington's favor, uh, given given what they've already done with kind of being, you know, an underdog. Uh, the St. Louis wasn't exactly a. a, a you know, a bomb squad wasn't exactly a, a juggernaut, but beating uh, the Dodgers uh, was impressive. So, um, I don't know. I, you know, I shout out to Mike Rizzo, their GM, because they lost, while they did lose Harper, they did have also $300 million to then allocate to what they did this offseason. Yes, you they know, did. They got Patrick Corbin, and, you know, I think they brought in Kurt Suzuki and, and Val Sanchez, so they they made moves um, to 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 kind of shore up the rest of their roster. You know, they 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 ended up you know spending quite a bit of money in the offseason, even though none of it was on Bryce Harper. So shout out to Mike Rizzo for making a lot of great moves. And at, regardless of what happens, this is an excellent story for Washington sports, which, like you mentioned, isn't always so lucky. So. Oh, yeah, that goes without an understatement. <laughs> it's an understatement <laughs> watching the sports. Um, and this is, to me, going to be a referendum for a lot of these primetime, big-time free agents and their agents when they come to free agency this summer. I, can't, I mean, or this uh, winter and, and for future winters. I can't imagine there won't be a lot of teams looking at what happened with the Nationals and kind of pausing before... Giving up this big money, we've already we've already talked. We did a whole segment on the show about how it was crazy. We went all that time and nobody wanted to sign Harper or Machado. So that thinking process was already there. We saw it yeah. happen, and it was already. I mean, clearly this validates it. You know? Yeah, and now this, I mean, ha- validates it in a big way. I mean, Scott Boris is. If anybody was trash this week, besides <laughs> you know who I picked, it might be Scott Boris. Uh, Scott Boris's future in regards to getting these big money contracts because. It may be a lot harder to get these teams to want to fork over that three hundred million for the next great star. Should be should be uh, awkward uh, when Anthony Rendon, you know, who's going to be a free agent this offseason, uh, <laughs> tries to negotiate his deal. I know, yeah, with Washington because they may say to themselves, ah, 
that 200 million we could offer you, we may get five more pieces. <laughs> I don't know if that'll work, but you know, you need you need, you need some uh, some stars to win. But at the know, end, if you want to go full money ball. <laughs> and at the end of the day, um, I mean, yes, they have the stars with Rendon and Soto, but still, uh, you gotta have pitching. I mean, if you got top notch pitching, you're just gonna have a chance, and you combine. Uh, you know, Corbin has pitched great in the postseason, but you combine Corbin with Scherzer and the way Strasburg pitched during this postseason, he's been just completely lights out. Uh, I mean, in a, a five-game series and a seven-game series, you're going to have a great chance every time. So, uh, again, Rizzo, as you said, deserves a lot of respect um, and a lot of credit, and that team deserves a lot of credit for, for the run they're on. They'll see if they can uh, continue it and, and win an improbable World Series when that, uh, when that when the Fall Classic takes place. Uh Kendall, who's your flames? Flames this week for me, EJ, uh, are two rookies. Um, I'm looking at my guy, Carson Edwards, from the Boston Celtics. And I'm looking at, uh, unfortunately, Tyler Hero from my uh, rival Miami Heat. So um, both rookies uh, who have had some uh, electrifying performances in, in, the po- in the preseason, not the postseason. Uh, so far, not yet. Uh, yeah, I know, yeah. I think they will potentially. Yeah, uh, at least they'll play in the postseason probably. But um, no, yeah. Edwards uh, had a particularly electrifying performance against Cleveland in his final preseason game, uh, where he uh, had 24 points in the third quarter, uh, including uh, eight threes, uh, eight straight threes in the third quarter in a span of five minutes. Uh, which is, I don't know if that's some kind of record, but it yeah, feels absurd. like it. that's absurd. That's, <laughs> like, that's, that's like Melo versus Angola. Absurd. Yeah, exactly. Uh, for those who don't know, look that up. Yeah. But, uh, um, but yeah, no, nah, he, he ended the game with 30 points, hit nine threes, which is tied, tied a Celtic record. Obviously, it's a preseason game, so I don't know if that counts, but tied a Celtic record with nine threes in a game. Uh, and again, it's only his fourth game in the in the Celtic uniform. You know, he, Kemba Walker did not play, or none of the starters played. So he had the opportunity in the minutes, and he already showed the guy. Could, I mean, look, Cleveland is borderline an NBA team. You know, like, <laughs> they have a college coach with a lot of college aged players, but still, I mean, the fact that you go out there, you get thirty against uh, NBA level competition, and in the fashion that he did, it was very, very reminiscent of what he did against uh, Virginia, obviously, in the Elite Eight. So look out for Carson Edwards. And then Tyler Hero has played excellent all preseason. Um, he had a performance, I believe, in his last preseason game where he started off the game with uh, five for five, you know, with 14, scored Miami's first 14 points. Yep. And, you know, he ended that game, I believe, with 23. But, um, He's been again electric all all preseason and uh, so much so that Sean Devaney from Sporting News wrote an article saying that uh, a rival GM said that Tyler Hero has been untouchable in all trade talks that they've had or that he's heard all uh, all off season and that uh, they think that they've got the second coming of Clay Thompson is what the rival GM said so. I mean, look, I don't know if he, Tyler Hero's playing any defense like Clay Thompson is, but yeah, uh, he can certainly shoot the basketball. Yeah, uh, we, we, I, I feel like you deserve a ton of credit for 
being on the Tyler Hero bandwagon since he was in high school. Um, yeah, kind I, of coming to Kentucky, I, I had a lot of expectations for him. Yeah, you foreseen the Tyler Hero rise even after what was a um, uh, it was a fine freshman year. I don't think it was disappointing. I don't yeah, think it he was. Did not shoot the basketball the way you know he was built to shoot it. Uh, yeah, he was built to shoot. And what I yeah. said in our YouTube video was that look. His percentages from three weren't great, but he shot 94% from the free throw line. And uh, the classic scouting adage in basketball is that for the NBA, uh, free throw shooting, free throw percentage is a better indicator of your three-point potential than your college three-point percentage. So, you know, even though he shot like 34% or whatever, what, 35%, which is not mediocre, it's solid, um, shooting 94% from the free throw line is... In the, it indicates that yeah you're going to be an elite shooter, so yeah he's so he's been tremendous. You know we both talked spoke highly of him at the him in summer league, uh, and Carson Edwards as well, who a guy who I've been yeah Edwards is uh, just I mean he's really remarkable. Um, he really is to me that like the 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 basketball he's one of the basketball offsprings of Steph Curry. You watch him, you watch I watched Trey Young last night against the Knicks. Um, these little guards who just are fields and can just pull up from anywhere and can shoot it with, at a high percentage. I mean, Trey Young's pulling up from forty feet to, at, at the buzzer, drilling shots and shots that you know are going in. It's not you're not even like oh like, that's a bad shot he may miss it. You're yeah, like, oh, like oh man this one might go in if you're rooting against him. And, and Carson Edwards, I mean those threes he hit those were not you know those were not as you know in baseball those the, the wall scrapers where like oh you know they're right at the line or whatever. He was shooting bombs. He every yeah. single one was 35, 30 feet off the dribble. I mean, Running I, I, screens, coming off screens. I don't know how this guy was not drafted in the first round. I didn't get it when I watched the draft. I didn't get it. I said it before the draft. I think he's a a really dangerous shooter, a dangerous scorer, and he makes shots. I I, I would take a chance on him. And now these people had him in for workouts and stuff. Unless he wasn't shooting like this, I don't know. I don't know how. Apparently, his Celtics workout was incredible. So, it's, I'm not surprised. Look the way he's shooting. Like, I, I don't know how teams saw the way he, this guy shoots to rock, and they waited 30, 40 picks to someone to draft him. Like that doesn't add up to me, especially with the way the game is played now and how these little guards. I'm not saying someone like Carson Edwards may have worked 20 years ago, 25 years ago, just because of how the game was played. But the way the game is played now, the league is terribly made for him. So uh, I'm happy he's he's played the way he has so far. My trash this weekend, though, I have to go with Florida State football, man. Um, last weekend, they had a marquee game against Clemson. And uh, after winning two in a row and kind of maybe getting some excitement from the fan base that maybe they were starting to head in the right direction, uh, they were just completely shellacked by Clemson. Um, Clemson, I believe, scored... Uh, 42 unanswered points in their 45 to 14 win, and I'm I don't I mean I am picking on Florida State, and <laughs> but <laughs> and, and I am a Miami fan, so that that needs full disclosure. But I, I did want to mention it just because I, I feel like if I didn't mention it or people don't talk about it, like we just kind of go with the assumption that this is just the norm now, and this just is never the norm for Florida State. Uh, Florida State, even when they've been down, they've always been competitive against elite teams, against great teams. Uh, to see Florida State play the way they did 
against Clemson where they just look like they didn't deserve to be on the same field. And Clemson is great, and Clemson can look, make a lot of teams look like that. But I also saw Clemson struggle against North Carolina. And North Carolina don't got the athletes that Florida State does. And North Carolina was a two-point conversion away from upsetting them. So I know Clemson's tough, but it's not like Clemson is completely unbeatable. And Florida State is supposed to have talent that's comp. They should have more talent than Clemson. But obviously Clemson on their run right now. They should at least have com- talent that's comparable to Clemson. And the recruiting classes would suggest that they do. How they come out every other week and look like this is just absurd. And I was happy when Willie Tacker got the job. I'm going to be full disclosure. We do not have enough African-American coaches in college football. So with that being said, I don't know how this guy has, I don't know how he survived that game. I, I, I don't, I mean, I don't know if maybe you've seen something that I haven't seen, but you know, as a Miami fan who is very close to the Florida recruiting trail and just kind of the momentum, what's going on. I mean, they had, they had a big decommit come at this week after this, uh, after that loss. And, and he's thinking about going to Miami. I'm like, did you see Miami play the last three weeks? Like, how bad is it that you deep in Florida State? Like, oh, man, Miami might be better. That 3-3 three three record in Miami is looking a lot, a lot better than that 3-3 three three record at Florida State. I mean, I don't see the light at the end of the tunnel with Taggart. And I don't know why he's there. I, I, this could sound really – this might end up sounding really stupid. And then maybe in two years he turns the whole thing around. And there's a master plan that I'm not seeing. But – I thought in year two, they would look way more confident. I thought the first year, I mean, it was bad, but I was like, man, you got to give him some time, let him get his system in, let him get some kind of, uh, you know, infrastructure started to maybe get into the right direction. They look worse than they did last year. Yeah, this, this Florida State team shouldn't look worse than what Bill O'Brien looked at Penn State early on. Absolutely. Like that, I mean, this ACC isn't like a juggernaut conference, you know? I mean... As a Pitt fan, it's a very mediocre conference. Obviously, the the, the Atlantic is, I think, a little more consistent than the Coastal is. And you have to deal with Clemson every year. So, that's not easy. But um, if you're at Florida State, I understand there are some people, you know, the fans will even tell you that this was a job that uh, Jimbo Fisher left in ruins. I mean, I couldn't see it from a distance. They looked pretty good last year he was there. But... Um, but fans will tell you that, I don't know what that last recruiting class was, but fans will tell you that, look, Jimbo had, was one foot out the door. So I don't know. But, uh, so I'll give really that much, but at the same time, uh, I mean, he's just been so mediocre at Florida State. Not even mediocre, just bad. And, so. and, and it's not in like, to me, it would be different if, if, okay, yes, the talent clearly wasn't there. And that's, I don't think that's true, but that's at least arguable. I mean, just, they don't they don't look prepared. They don't look disciplined. They beat themselves every week. Like, it's not just, like, they're, that they're, I know it's a cliche, but it's not just that they're getting blown out and losing. It's like how they're losing. Like, no effort, no pride. Like, that stuff... That stuff he can control. Okay, yes, you can't control a bad infrastructure that was left behind. But you can control how your team prepares every week and how your team looks every week. Like in terms of uh, in terms of wanting to play and having motivation to go out there and, and, and rep, you know, the spear, so to speak. None of that's there. I, I don't I don't see why this team 
despite a coaching change, would have to look this bad. And, I mean, they're saying the cupboard is bare, the Florida State fans that are defending Taggart, and I'm happy there are people defending him because, I mean, people need to defend uh, African-American coaches in these situations because they get such short ends of the stick. So I don't think that is a bad thing that people are trying to make a case for him. But 2017 uh, recruiting class, fifth overall. 2018 recruiting class, Tigers, uh, going into Tigers first year, 10th overall. This year's recruiting class of freshmen, it was a little down, but it was 18. I mean, it's not and like, <laughs> and that, yeah, that's on him. Like, that's because people watched them last year and were like, oh man, they still got a five star and a couple of four star, and they still had a top 20 recruiting class, one of the top three or four classes in the, in the conference. So, and now, that, of course, looking back on his story, you know, 2016, they were number two. Now, obviously, we look back at history, it doesn't account for, you know, guys transferring, guys flunking yeah. out. Yeah. You know, there's things that could have happened. So I, I do understand that. But it, it does suggest that there's talent there. And they're not playing up to anywhere near that talent, despite whatever situation Jimbo left behind. So I had to make them trash because I'm just not accustomed to seeing Florida State look like this. But they, they would owe him $17 million if they fired him. So, um, they already gave three million to buy him out to Oregon, and uh, and they also gave one point four to South Florida to buy out Oregon's buyout of him at South Florida. So I never, I just, I, and we talked about this off air. I, I just, I never got why he was the guy they targeted and wanted. I just didn't think he proved enough at Oregon. At Oregon. He was good at South Florida. Which is why they made the jump that like, all right, you know, you're good at USF. It's a local school. But you have to like, to me, like, you have to show, uh, you have to be able to display that at the elite, elite level, you can coach at an elite level. If you're going to Florida State, I, I to me, that's not a job where Tony Dungy gave him a major stamp of approval. Which Tony Dungy is obviously he's a, a legend. He's a legend, in, and you know, he also his son went to Oregon, so he's close with that program. So he knew Willie Taggart. Well, I just I know I'm a track record guy. I want to look at your track record and see what did you accomplish. USF, they were good, but they weren't even as they uh, Jim Lo- they weren't as good as Jim Lovett's best years. Yeah, no, I mean Jim and, Lovett had them as a you know a top five team. Yeah, country. like and 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 Oregon was good, but like not One as year. good as not as good as Chip Kelly's best years. Not as good as Chip Kelly's middle medium years. Like. Yeah. I didn't quite get it. I know the Florida ties were were strong, but I don't know. It just it has not worked out, and I don't see how he's gonna survive this. But as you said, when money the money that high to buy him out, it's gonna be tough for them. Anyway, what's who's playing? Who's a trash for you, Kendall? Uh, trash for me is uh, Buddy Heald. Um, Buddy Heald, EJ, uh, is coming up on a uh, contract extension. Who? You know, and this is a, he's part of the same draft class of guys. Um, you know, he's, it's him. Jalen Brown's also looking for a contract extension. Pascal Siakam, you know, they're that whole draft class. Jamal Murray already got his. Ben Simmons got theirs, uh, got his as well this offseason. But, like, Buddy Heald, uh, again, another guy whose contract will be up this year, uh, feels that, he is one of the, I guess, guys that should be getting the same, similar kind of money that Jamal Murray and Ben Simmons got. Um, the Sacramento Kings 
uh, offered Buddy Hill $90 million, which personally I thought was high, but they offered him $90 million. And uh, he went and said that's an insult and that he wants one-tenth. That's the number that him and his agent are asking for. Um, look, I, he, he said he's ready to he's ready to get out of there. You know, uh, if if a deal can't be done by Monday, he's ready to leave Sacramento. Uh, he's really talking crazy, and <laughs> yeah, I, I've seen it. Honestly, I, I like I don't know where this energy is coming from. You know, Buddy Hield is a very good player, probably underrated. I always tell you, I always tell you he's underrated. Me, you talk yeah, about him you know, like I don't watch the Kings to save my life, so I, I couldn't, I couldn't probably accurately equate his value to probably what it is. But because people that 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 watch the Kings will tell you that, like, oh yeah, like because there have been a debate, you know, who should have more value right now, him or Jalen Brown, and they'll tell you his buddy unanimously. I, I mean, I watch the Celtics. I don't necessarily agree, but. You know, again, I, I don't watch the Kings enough, so maybe maybe I'm wrong about that. But Buddy Hill's 27 years old, which is a prime, so I guess you give him a four-year deal, you're not going to go crazy about it. But he's 27. Um, he hasn't necessarily been – he hasn't – well, it's not necessarily – he hasn't been an all-star in this league yet. He's in the West, so it's a little tougher. But, I, like, Zach, Zach Levine just got, I believe, $80 million over four years. So if we're using that as a as a benchmark, he shouldn't get more than ninety. No I don't way. think he's better than Zach Levine. No way. So, and he's much older. So yeah. I I don't know. You know, it's just it's and to then be like I don't want to be here if if they if they don't meet re, uh, we don't reach an agreement by Monday from Sacramento. I'm like I, I don't care. Like uh, that, that, like for me, I'm, if I'm De'Aaron Fox, I'm some of these other guys. I'm looking at you like, look, I know you know you don't want to mess with somebody else's money and their contract negotiations, but that's clown behavior. We're coming up on the season, and you're worried about my my contract. And and a season, a season where they have expectations and maybe try to make the playoffs. Yeah, they want to make the playoffs. De'Aaron Fox claims he left Team USA because he wanted to make the playoffs. <laughs> right. I, I don't know. If I believe that, but that's the claim. They're trying. They're trying to really make the playoffs, and you got this guy worried about. The twenty million dollars and look, twenty million is a lot of money, but money that again, realistically, he's probably not worth. So, <laughs> like, if I'm De'Aaron Fox, I'm looking at him like, come on, man, like just focus on the season. You can you can hash this out in the off season or leave in restricted free agency. It's fine. Right, yeah, you know, there, there's no rush to get this deal done. But well, that's why. So there's a lot of things afoot, Kendall, and I'll try to break this down real quickly. I think number one. I think he realizes there's no he's not gonna get that money in the open market. So he's trying to strong arm his team into giving it to him now. I also think he knows it's very unlikely his own team will give it to him. I think he's trying to get traded. I think that he I think he would be fine actually getting 110 million or getting traded to another team and trying to prove it somewhere else. I don't know why he thinks it would be more successful to another team than Sacramento, where there's gonna be a lot of shots for him, and he's kind of the focal point of their offense. Yeah, yeah every point flash. He's their leading scorer, so I don't know where he thinks he's gonna go in a trade where he's gonna get more shots than he got in Sacramento. He took 16 shots a year last year. I mean, he he, he was one of the, him and Fox were the guys, and he's probably gonna take more shots this year. 
you know, I don't know, unless maybe he sees something in practice, maybe he sees them running more plays with Bagley, he's like, yo, where do I fit in this joint? You know, y'all better give me my money now before I lose the bag I might secure. Uh, so maybe that's a foot, but I, I think that to me, this is him trying to strong arm his way out of there. For whatever reason, I think he feels like he can't maximize his monetary value with the Kings. So unless they give him the money, all the money he wants, he'd rather go somewhere else and try to do it somewhere else. I don't, I don't know in any way where he thinks that he can be traded somewhere else and he's going to play better. But I think that's, I think that's a strategy. I mean, he literally said, especially a, a, a low market like, like this Sacramento name, one big free agent who came to Sacramento. <laughs> I mean, like that's just, I'll be honest, Kendall, he should be booed on opening night. If I, and, and I know there are some people who say that, you know, oh, we shouldn't advocate for booing. And I think that's, Nonsense. The fans should the fans should, should should cheer and boo whoever they want. He should be booed. I mean, I mean that's. I mean, you you repping for the city, a city that gave a, you a chance. I mean, remember he had a miserable rookie year with the Pelicans. He was yeah, awful. He was, he was awful to the point where when the Kings traded for him, people thought that it was a laughing stock of a trade because they were like, "How in the world is the best asset you get in a trade for Demarcus Cousins, a perennial All Star?" And talent. Team that thought, what they he, thought what he, he was Steph Curry. And they thought he was a star. And guess what? They He's bet right there. on him. That was a great trade based on what happened. Boogie Cousins breaking down. They didn't have to pay him all that money. And Heald has become a productive player. And last year averaged, again, over 20 points a game. To, to, to just totally trash the city and the team. I mean, to me, he's do, he's doing a scorched earth Playbook similar to AD, similar to A A B. I mean, this and play we, this playbook is now becoming familiar. So that's why I think it's clear what's happening. We but see it's just surprising coming based on what's happened with him. And like we've seen this in restricted free agency in the past. You know, it, it, it can get ugly sometimes. But he's not even a restricted free agent right now. Like this is just a contract extension. He like I don't know if he can play with this team again. I mean, he can. He's, he probably will, but. I mean, again, I also wonder, Kendall, if, if they're also, what were you going to say? Well, I also wonder, because if he gets traded, you would think that the team he would go into, he would have some leverage with in terms of saying, I will sign here. So that's the other thing, too, is when you're in a restricted free agency, it's kind of, really, I think he's doing the Porzingis trade book, playbook, but just kind of remixing it. Like, Porzingis, um, you know, he realized that, you know, he couldn't, you know, he 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 was kind of going into an off season where he would have to do something drash like go to Europe or take a one year deal and not get the payday he would want if the Knicks decided to just sign him, uh, and that would have been a big risk. So he got them to trade him to the team that he that team that that they knew he they would he would have a good chance of resigning with. I think he'll do the same thing. He'll doesn't want to be in Sacramento clearly. And he's like, look, this month, unless y'all give me a ridiculous number, which they know we're never going to give them, y'all got to trade me or else I'm going I'm to act a fool up in here. And by trading him, he, they're only going to, only team, the, it's very likely the teams that will try to trade for him will be teams that won't see him as a rental. They'll want to try to resign him, perhaps. And maybe he will sign that 80 million or 90 million contract with a team that's, uh, that, that, that he likes more than Sacramento. He may get traded to, a Minnesota, where they have Carl Anthony Towns, say, okay, I'll sign $90 million, $80 million to play with Carl Anthony Towns. Then, now, that was the question I was going to ask. Where, give me one spot that you think makes sense. That's the team that makes sense to me. Being Minnesota. I think you get rid of Wiggins. Um, the King got to replace him with somebody. This might be kind of the one trade that 
like 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 someone might actually take Wiggins. Like I actually see him saying, "Well, the guy replaced him with somebody." And our play development's been pretty solid. So if anybody can get anything out of him, maybe our, our group can. And Vivek, you know, he's a kind of a riverboat gambler. I think that he might be willing to take that chance on a guy if he knows he, he like he has to move healed if the situation's untenable. Is there any way Dallas can get him? Um. I mean, I if I'm if I'm the Kings, uh, could Hardaway and Lee is Lee still on the team? Did they cut him? I don't know what his deal is. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, I don't. I I don't think I've seen him during preseason. I don't, I don't know what his situation is, but I, I, Hardaway does have an expiring contract, and Hardaway is kind of a poor man's buddy healed. So could they convince me? They have no draft picks. Yeah. So could you could you convince me? Give me a first round pick. Now, nah, if I'm the Kings, I ain't giving him no first round pick. Knowing because they're a good team, but who knows what will happen, especially with the way the lottery is now. But, um, but you know, if I say, okay, give me Hardaway and a first round pick, and I'll give you healed, I could see that, and I, I could see that if I was if I was Dallas, um, I could I could I could see them making that. that oh, oh, actually, yeah, I'm, I'm bugging because you're right, Dallas doesn't have any first round picks. Uh, I, I was thinking about Sacramento, yeah, so that's. Uh, yeah, they have to go really deep into their future, and then uh, now, if you're, yeah. now if you're the Kings, does a 2024 Dallas pick have any value? Or, or OKC is another team that has a lot of assets, and he did go to Oklahoma, so and he could be a good piece to maybe start the rebuild. Um, they kind of they you know they they kind of missed the boat on the Old Depot, uh, you know, Old Depot resurgence. Uh, they were a year too early. You know, maybe last, they can kind of take another chance on another guy who maybe looks like he may pop into something that nobody expects. Last last team I would throw out there is maybe the Atlanta Hawks try to accelerate their rebuild and say, we'll give you Kevin Herter and, I don't know, whatever other young guy they want to give up. I wouldn't give up anyone other than Herter. Yeah, because, I wouldn't give up. Because the other, the other two guys are, are – I think Herter is good, but I think the other two guys – I mean, Cam Reddish looks really good. Um uh, I think the other two guys have too much potential, but yeah. but yeah, I, I could see maybe they give Hurdle, maybe they're willing to give him a first round pick and take that chance. Uh, and like, if I'm the Kings and you give me Kevin Herter, I mean, I, I mean, I don't, I don't think he's a, a superstar, but I mean, he's like seven years younger than Buddy Hield. So. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, you start the clock on. <laughs> and him. he's not that much worse. Yeah, so. and he's shown that he could shoot the rock. He's a very similar player to to Hield, so and he's taller, so. Um, the Kings, they got to pay De'Aaron Fox next offseason, assuming. Which is I mean, why I'm sure they're like, I'm not going to go crazy giving you all this. And, again, I think Hill's not an idiot. He knows all of this. That's why yeah. this is all orchestrated. Like, like it's clear what's happening. He understands that they got to pay De'Aaron the Fox, and there's no that, way they're going to give him the money that they're going to give the Fox. This is the same clown that lied about his age. <laughs> well, yeah, he did do that. He, he was 26 when he was 27. Not, and, not, and, not drastic, but and now and now it's actually coming back to hurt him because <laughs> yeah, had he been a year younger, maybe they say, "All right, well, you know, he's twenty six yeah, years honest. old. You know, he, he he his best years are ahead of him." <laughs> now they're like, "Oh man, we you know we saw the first year of his prime; he was good, but you know, he ain't no superstar." So that so yeah, kind of what goes around comes around in that regard. Uh, let's get out of here, Kendall. What's uh, Kendall's court this week? Kendall's Court this week, we're going to be talking about uh, both the NBA and the NFL draft. So, let's throw the NBA real quick. Uh, conversation has been had. I don't know where this conversation originally started, but John Calipari had uh, some comments at, I believe, SEC Media Day, where 
he was talking about the idea of the NBA draft expanding to three, four, however many rounds, which I guess is a conversation that's been out there. Um, I've I've mentioned it. I don't know if about this sh- on the show or if I've just had a conversation with DDJ, but I've mentioned there is a like it would make sense. I think for the NBA to at some point go to three or four rounds because I mean I would love watching it. I I mean you know I probably we we already kind of can evaluate guys who end up going undrafted to begin with. So and now the G League becoming a real minor league, it makes sense why. A third round, especially maybe not a fourth, but a third round makes sense for the league. Uh, but Kyle Perry had an interesting viewpoint where he said that this would one, he said it would kill college basketball or really damage college basketball because uh, then you're just gonna have everybody entering the draft and staying uh, in staying in the league. Um, but then he also said that it, it's just not good for the players because. Now you have guys that are being drafted in the third round strictly to play in the G League that don't make it to the NBA. And he said, based, essentially, what if they don't make it to the NBA? He's like, now they don't have the education that they would have gotten in college. I think that's fair at the same time. A lot of those guys will probably end up playing in Europe anyway. So, mm-hmm. you know, they'll probably still make a decent amount of money um, doing what they would have done to begin with. But... Um, so I don't know if he's necessarily 100%. I see his point. I don't think he's necessarily 100% correct. But um, I do agree that it would be damaging to college basketball. And when, when I thought about that, that's when I then said – and then he said, look, most of the guys – he said guys should be coming out – guys should be allowed to come out of high school, but that it's not more than seven or eight guys that are good enough to make an impact anyway. But – then if you institute this third round again, like you said, a lot of these guys can end up in the G League and that could be dangerous. So um, how do you feel about... I mean, I, I get what Cal Perry is saying. I guess for me, I guess it, 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 now it's dangerous to, to apply it, say, to say, look, we got to just wait to see it applied in practice. But I, I, I don't know if I fully agree that because there's a third round, more kids would enter the draft. And that maybe sounds crazy. And uh, as I say it out loud, I kind of question it. I guess the re- what I'm getting at is I kind of assumed it'd just be more like fringe guys, guys who are seniors. Like, is, is someone who's clearly a third-round pick entering the draft? Like, what's like to me, like, I don't think that anything changes from you being a third-round pick to you being an undrafted free agent who gets sent to the G League. There's no difference other than they have draft rights. But, like, it's the, it's the, the climb to make the an NBA roster is just as steep. And if you don't believe me, just ask the guys when there were six rounds in the NBA before. Ask them guys that were drafted. Ask Tony <laughs> Gwynn how easy it was to make the NBA. And, 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 Dave, yeah. Win, and Dave Winfield. They're, they're not all of a sudden going to more roster. <laughs> Yeah, that's Jay Billis. Like, how easy it was to make the NBA after being a sixth-round pick or whatever he was. Like, it's, it's like, impossible. Yeah. So, I would, I, I could be being very naive, but I would think handlers and advisors and college coaches would be able to advise the guys who are underclassmen, say, you're going to be a third-round pick. This, the climb for you to get to the NBA, to making real money, is still very steep. 
it's just it's, it's pretty much just like you being an undrafted free agent except they have your draft rights so in if in some way if you're able to burst onto the scene i guess they could just put you on the roster but your contract would still be completely unguaranteed i don't i don't i don't know i don't i don't i don't know if i see it as the doom and gloom that he makes it out to be uh just from a I, I disagree just from a viewer's standpoint. I don't need three rounds. Uh, I, I, we both love college basketball. We know these teams and players good, left and right, especially you. But I, I, I don't need a third round. Like I don't think the NBA needs a third round. I think they're fine with how they do it. I think that they have the free agent draft system. They have the G League draft. They should just continue with that. I don't, I don't see... Um, now I get, you know, in the minor leagues and major league baseball, like, you know, there's a million, you know, grounds because they gotta fill out minor league rosters. So in one sense you would think, okay, well that means you're gonna have to put more guys in the G League. But I guess just the 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 there's just way more I don't know, just there's just way more minor league teams. So I, that kinda makes more sense than this. Uh and, and so few guys that go to the G League, you actually uh, envision being like parts of your team, whereas like you know the first three or four picks in your you know major league draft, like like those guys are going to, to rookie ball, but you got you you hope those guys are on your team at some point. You know it's, it's a complete crapshoot, but like like you're not throwing away those picks. Like those picks mean something after the first round or and after the second round even. The NBA, I I feel like the third or fourth round, I like those are just like such flyers at that point. That's like that's the equivalent of like the 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 sixteenth round in, in in Major League Baseball, like having a third well, round, round in, in the NFL. Yeah, and it's like that's not necessary, and I don't think that we should maybe risk guys taking that you know that fool's gold of saying I could be a third round pick to 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 implement that. So I get where Cal's coming from from that standpoint. I don't know if I agree that it's going to be the doom and gloom that he thinks it's going to be. Um. So the other the other. Uh side of this is the NFL. Uh, Roger Goodell uh, has, uh, has come out and started talking about, I guess, an NFL draft lottery, which again, another conversation I did not know any people were having. But uh, essentially because, you know, I, you know, tanking has been a problem in the NFL. Um, the the Miami Dolphins obviously are 0-6, 0-5, I believe. Uh, and I believe the the Redskins are one in five after they just beat the Miami Dolphins uh, in a, a battle of the two worst teams in the league, two teams that could have gone on sixteen if they weren't playing each other. Um, it, that that really shined and illuminated the issue of tanking right now in the NFL. Uh, and Roger Goodell came out and said, "We have no plans to institute a draft lottery to kind of discourage tanking." I think I agree with this. Um, I think that draft the 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 idea of I, I think that that I think the the idea of tanking the NFL is not as bad as what people think. You know, I think obviously the Dolphins are, are bad, and obviously they are losing more or less on purpose. And this is something that was, I mean, Adam Schefter reported they were going to do this, you know, before last year's draft. So. This isn't like this is a new thing. I think he reported this like after the end of last season that yeah, Dolphins are they plan on being the worst team in the league next year. But um, at the same time, I think if you institute a draft lottery, that'll only get worse because again, as we see in the NBA, these teams 
are they're very numbers driven more in the NBA than they are in the NFL, but still numbers driven. So even if you if you're giving yourself the best odds to get the number one pick, you're gonna you're gonna lose games on purpose regardless. So I don't think that instituting a draft lottery would have stopped the Miami Dolphins from trying to win games um, or trying to lose games. And then what happens if the Dolphins don't get the number one pick? If, if I told you that the Dolphins were going to end up with the fourth pick this year and they went 1-15 and and had the worst record in the league, that would be demoralized. That would yes. be like, man, like, I mean, you can still get a good player in the four, with the fourth pick in the NFL draft, but, you know, they not get, they're not getting Tua, you know, or they're not getting Jerry Judy or whoever they would draft number one, Chase Young. But, so, yeah, I, I, I think... A draft lottery in the NFL. Plus, who cares? A lot of times these picks get traded. If you really want the number one pick in the NFL, you can trade for it a lot of the time. Or if you really want a certain player, a particular player, you can trade for that player. So I don't think a draft lottery is needed. I think that would just be... And plus, uh, we don't need the conversation of, oh, is this rigged? <laughs> you know, it's a whole other conversation. Yeah, I, I, I don't think that a draft lottery is necessary. Um the NFL uh, also is a league where one player it, it's harder for one player to make a huge difference if you don't get the other stuff right. So I don't I, I, those teams are already at such a disadvantage that are so bad. I don't know if I'm going to put them at even more disadvantage by saying, okay, now you're going to have not going to have the chance to get the who you think is the best player in the draft, um, and now you really got to make sure you do your other picks right. Like, I think that's just, like, one hurdle too many. Like, in the NBA, one player can change your life drastically. So, um, I think while you may not get the number one pick, getting number two and number three pick, jumping up in the lottery could still change your life or whatever. So, it's a little different. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I'm not crazy. And, and, I, and I also, honestly, I, I, I don't think tanking is a problem in the NFL. I know that maybe sounds a little crazy, but I, I I think that the Dolphins are doing something extremely unique. I don't think the Redskins are tanking. I don't think that they came into this year expecting and trying to be the – I don't think Jake Gruden came this year thinking, I'm going to try to get fired. Like, cause yeah, they, wouldn't have, got, they wouldn't have fired Jake Gruden. Right. Like, he clearly was trying to win. Um, They're just not a good team, and sometimes teams are just built poorly. Poorly men. Yeah. Now, the <laughs> Dolphins are doing something new, but – I don't think what the Dolphins are doing is going to encourage other teams. We won't know that until they get the number one pick and it works. And it may not work because number one picks in the NFL, I think, are probably more of a crapshoot than they are in the NBA. And the other thing is trading. Again, also, I go back to trading. Like Trading for a top five pick in the NFL is so much easier than it is in the NBA. For sure. In the NBA, the value of a top five pick is so... High. Yeah, they're un- they're untrade they're like untradeable basically. Yeah, they're almost yeah, they're almost untouchable assets. Yeah, exactly. Like that's why the lottery is so vital. Because again, like you said, jumping into the top five means so much. And like in the NFL, like you jump into the top three, you probably end up trained down anyway. <laughs> yeah. So like, you know, I mean it I mean it helps because then you get an extra second round pick or an extra third round pick or a pick. I mean this, this whole time, Kendall, with the Jets struggling and, and I saw Darnold play great this week as a Jet fan, my thing is, all right, yo, we're gonna be one of the worst teams probably still. Who well, now Darnold played well, so maybe they'll 
turn this around and be decent. But let's say my thing was, yo, man, we get in the top three or four for some reason. One of these teams want to get a quarterback. I'm like, yo, I can't wait to trade down. Yeah, exactly. Like, exactly. I can't wait. Like, I'm like, I mean, all these, this terrible offensive line, this defense that needs so much work, I can't wait to <laughs> get rid of that top thing. If the lottery, it would have been like, oh, yeah, we're in Tua. Or, oh, yeah, we're in Jerry Judy. It would have been like, all right, so which one of these teams, how far back, how far down are we trading? Are we trading out of this draft? <laughs> like, what are we doing? Yeah, we're trading out of the first round completely and, and just amassing these crazy amount of picks we're about to get. Like, that's the that's part of the prize with it. So, yeah. In the NBA, if you win the lottery, you're not touching that pick. 1,000%. So, yeah, it's just it's a different thing. And it's NHL as well. You know, the NHL is a lottery, and, like, one player can change an entire franchise in the NHL from day one. That And, I mean, you can you, that can happen in the NFL as well, but it really only happens at one position, and so many other things need to go right for that to happen. So, uh, yeah, I, I, don't think we'll, I don't think we'll get an NFL lottery. Wh- which one of these two changes do you think is more likely? Uh, the third round. I agree. Just because that's the way the NBA is going. Yeah, the NBA is going towards more support for its minor league. Um, the NFL tanking, quote unquote, tanking issue is super new, and I don't even know if it's real. So I don't, I don't expect the NFL to make any crazy rash decision based on that. So yeah, definitely the third round. Yep. That's it for this week's show, guys. I really uh, had fun doing it. Thank you to Kendall for joining me, and thank you guys for listening. If you want to catch all of our content uh, in terms of podcasts, check us out on the New Generation Podcast Network. You can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Again, our YouTube content, New Generation Media. We have plenty of content coming out from uh, the American Athletic Conference Media Day. Some of it's already up. More stuff will be coming throughout the week and the weekend. Um, and stuff from near Comic Con as well. So uh, if you're into that stuff, uh, again, New Generation Media is our YouTube channel. On social media, you can find us on Facebook, New Generation Media, on Twitter at New Generation Pod, and on Instagram at New Generation Podcast. And you can find me on Twitter, EJ underscore Stewart, and on Instagram, Action EJ. Thank you guys so much for listening to this show. For Kendall, I'm EJ. Peace.